0: is so beautiful you know come play flip the page dynasty is the newest rage maybe you've played maybe you've made a trade Bate list and now these fish are all up on you i mean you won three ships they wish they had your so this is it you want to learn the game 101 pick when it hits you feel no pain for the fantasy championship dynasty. Hit the books, kid, read this pamphlet called the Dynasty o- o- Owner's Manual. It, it, it's automatic dynasty. It, it's automatic Owner's Manual. It, it, it's automatic dynasty. It, it's automatic. Dynasty. It,
1: it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors. Chris Allen. And Adam Wilde.
2: All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm Chris Allen, the co-host of the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast, and I'm here tonight with one of. uh, If you're in the Dynasty community, I mean, how could you not know? I guess who this person is, and like who and who they wind up, uh, who they work for. We've got Curtis Patrick with us here tonight, and I mean, Curtis, I mean, you're all over the place, man. I mean, we had. Uh, The good fortune of meeting up with you when we were at the Fantasy Football Expo last week, hosted by the great Bob Lung. Uh, We know that, I mean, you're you're, of your great work with Rotoviz, Dynasty Command Center with TJ Calkins, with a number uh, number of other great folks that are there. Um, And then also the Best Ball Command Center. I used to actually go back and forth with Mike Beers over some best ball tactics and whatnot for quite some time, uh, the past couple of seasons. So you're everywhere. I mean, so we're thankful that you were able to take the time tonight. And um, uh, how you doing as we get into it this evening?
1: Oh, man, thanks for the introduction, Chris. I'm doing great. This is like the best time of year in, in Dynasty. I probably would say that no matter what time of year it is, but I actually feel like it's most true like right now. Like this is we're, we're smack in the middle of everyone getting excited about Dynasty startups. I'm sure we'll talk about that today. Uh, we've also got, you know, rookie uh, mock drafting and in rookie profiles and full swing seems like everybody in the community is kind of drawing their lines in the sand, planting their flags. I mean, it's like it's just so easy to get pumped up about Dynasty uh, in January, February and March every single year. So uh, pumped to talk with you guys tonight.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that I mean, as we're starting to see, I mean, we just had the Super Bowl last night. I mean, great game and whatnot, but it was almost I mean, immediately after that. People were talking about free agency. People were talking about rookies. People were talking about the combine coming up and how many days are after that. People going back to their notes about what they saw in the Senior Bowl. I mean, it's just... It's an endless cycle, but it's a fun endless cycle. It's something that, you know, I I myself get like an Adam and I, we both get pumped up for like every season. So I think with that, I mean, let's let's go ahead and hop right into it, man. And I think as we're getting into startup season, as we're getting into like rookie draft season and all that stuff starting to come up and people are going back to their rosters or planning for what they're going to do. I mean, are there. Uh, Do you see any advantages or nuances like for managers that play in leagues with startups and snake drafts and all that? I mean, do you see a value in like snake drafts or auctions or however people like try and build their rosters? Do you see any differences in, and like how do you try and take advantage of them?
1: Yeah. Well, like the biggest advantage right now um, that I could give to anybody is to really know the rules and know which assets and players are part of the startup versus which things are going to be held separate. So, What I've seen to be a growing trend at Dynasty Startups is actually including the rookie picks as part of the startup or even just including the rookie players as part of the startup and not having a separate rookie draft in year one. And when that's the case, you really just it really makes me want to lean in the direction of, uh, you know, the youth attack with that team build, because rookies accrue value in year one, uh, especially guys that at, at this point, you know, we might only feel really sure about half a dozen guys that are going to be in the first round of rookie ADP uh, by the time the NFL draft's all said and done. Um, but if you were able to hammer even just a couple of those guys, you're almost assured of making um, some kind of roster money on them uh, by the end of the year uh, 2020. So definitely attack rookies in startups if you know, you're know you given that opportunity. And then you know, obviously from a single QB to a super flex setting would really change how you might want to attack things. And um, four point versus six point passing TD and, and tight end premium. And so, you know, I think working with a good set of rankings, a mixed set of rankings, maybe even from a couple analysts that you trust, uh, just so you don't go in, you know, too top heavy, uh, with one mindset and then adjust that, uh, for the scoring settings, the roster settings, the depth, all those types of things in your league. A lot of people just, they want to get in the startup and then they don't put the homework in and, You know, it's just like studying for a test, man. You know, that test comes to you, they slap it down on the desk and, you know, you kind of know how you're going to perform before it even hit the paper hits, right? I mean, if you're prepared, it's not a big deal. Anything that happens to you in that draft, it's it's not a big deal. You just take a breath and you move on. But if you didn't study, you didn't have your board, you don't know the rules, you're going to come out with a crap product and, you know, then you're going to be playing catch up the whole first year.
0: So, Curtis, one of the main questions that I get most often is, uh, what is your strategy going into drafts or auctions, either or? And uh, one of the first things I really think of every time is just it's really hard to maintain a strategy. Do you find difficulty maintaining a strategy or do you even try to go in with a strategy or how do you play your drafts?
1: Well, you know again this goes back to to the rules and the settings a little bit but for the purpose of the conversation you know let's just say it's it's a vanilla you know 1 QB PPR dynasty league start 10 players mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's not heavy on flex two running backs three wide receivers uh so on and so forth you know um if i can pick my draft slot right now you really want to be uh picking that early draft slot i mean between mm-hmm. CMC and Saquon the advantage that you're going to have in terms of roster equity there is just unrivaled. The only thing that's going to give you a pause if, is if there's a third round reversal in that startup, if we're talking snake, then you pay the heavy price. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, you know, then, then you might start thinking, maybe I want to be at the back half of the first uh, and get that 112, 201, 301. I mean that that's pretty juicy. If there's a third round reversal and in, in an auction, you know, in an auction, I, I really would like to go studs and duds to the degree possible. And again, it's because look, we're draft. It's February, man. We're drafting in February. We got all this time between now and August that we can shake up those assets. If I can come away with even as many as three first round dynasty startup assets, and then Mm -hmm. I move off of them, you know, that's, that's not a bad situation to be in.
0: Yeah, and for example, in a dispersal I recently did in tight end premium superflex, I actually did that for the first time. I used to only draft, uh, sorry, used to only bid on players that I thought were uh, an amazing value, regardless of position, anything like that. Since I was doing the dispersal so early in the off season, I I tried studs and duds, and I came away with Deshaun Watson, Leonard Fournette, Juju Smith Schuster, Michael Thomas, and George Kittle. Um, the rest of the team is duds can't remember any of them off the top of my head. You end up getting a lot of $1 <laughs> players, but um, yeah. I'm just going to wheel and deal. And this time of year, I think that's what you want to do. If you can stack your roster and just wheel and deal as the uh, offseason takes place, I think you can come away with a really nice roster.
1: Yeah, that that's a great point, Adam. And I think um, you know the counter to it would be, let's say you're somebody that doesn't like that idea. You don't want to do the studs and duds. Don't fall into the veteran value trap. In a startup, um, if you're not going to go aggressively after these studs and you're going to kind of punt those high end dynasty startup players, you got to attack the first and second year players. It's almost the only other viable strategy, because if you end up leaving a draft and you've got, you know, the late career discounts on like every single player, Mm -hmm. you might have success in year one. But if you don't, you're going to be just heartbroken When nobody wants your, nobody wants your assets and you're trying to rebuild and it takes like three years because you can't build up any equity. It's horrible. So, um, yeah, it, it, and, and really just circling around to the, to how you presented the question. It's that strategy, right? If I'm going to go after studs and duds, it's not going to bother me if I got to pay an extra 10 bucks on whatever the budget is for this player. Like my plan was I'm coming away with three or four of these guys in this ADP range and it doesn't matter what the room does i'm not going to i'm not going to veer off of that and if i'm going to buy you know the rookies and the and the second year players um who you know either broke out or or look like you know viable investments after year 1 then it's not going to bother me when you know somebody gets this relative discount on saquon that was not my plan i'm not going to veer off plan and throw this crazy bid on him just because he looked like a value like mm-hmm. now the room is dictating what i do and right. that's not where i want to be Playing defensive in an auction is really
0: tough. And if you want to shoot for the uh, quote-unquote duds, I like to shoot for the moon. Uh, If I'm going to go cheap, I'm just going to shoot for guys like uh, Michael Gallup on the off chance that Amari leaves or Meikle on the chance that Sammy leaves, things like that. You shoot for the moon and you end up with things like uh, Cortland Sutton or something like that.
2: And I think that makes sense because again, like you had mentioned like in your uh, at the beginning of your response, Curtis, is that if you're doing these types of drafts like now here in February and March, you have time for some of those picks in order to accrue some more value. You might see some things shake out like over the summertime and then like if you want to try and move them before the season starts, you have that time. And so now like our next question kind of falls into, well, does your strategy then change like as, I guess, as the season or off season like moves on? So let's say if we're not talking about February and March for your draft, we're we're doing a a rookie draft in the summertime or even a late startup that happens like around that same time frame. So if you have less time before the season starts in order to try and make some moves or whatever? I mean, does that affect your draft strategy that you would want to try and implement depending on the time of the offseason that we're
1: talking about? Sure. And I think, I mean, I think there's a couple different ways to respond, because if we're talking a startup draft or we're talking the rookie draft, right? So in a rookie draft, you know I'm actually in some leagues that are like, they're not quite a devy league. OK, so you don't own any college prospects, but we draft rookies before the NFL draft. So you've got to do your so you've got to do your homework, mm-hmm. but you know, you're not, you know, you're not tracking these guys as 18-year-olds. And it, it's right. actually a really interesting way to play for people who don't have that interest in Debbie, but wanna do the homework a little earlier in the process. And so, yeah. you know, right now, you know, you, you've really got to feel good about prognosticating where these guys are gonna go. It sometimes can be a little easier to buy the rookie picks in a format like that because things are unsettled. You're gonna be drafting without any rookie ADP that's meaningful and you can play off of the uncertainty that other owners in your league might have. You know That is not the case. When, even when we get to just late May or June and there's some established rookie ADP, we even start seeing where some of these rookies go in best ball leagues or redraft leagues because people understand team situation and depth charts. Mm-hmm. The values seem to just be sapped up. But something that does happen every year for later rookie drafts is I, I'm finding year after year after year this mistake is made and the community makes it together sometimes. And last year, a perfect example was Darwin Thompson. So we, we find these guys who are drafted late, and people assume that they're in like a flush situation, and then it doesn't play out. And we spend three, four months talking about the importance of draft pedigree and the quality of a player's production profile. And then, you know, then we just damn it all to hell because this guy <laughs> lands in Kansas City, right? Right. And, right. and it's it's like it's like what what have we been talking about for the last hundred twenty day hundred twenty days, guys? Like, and and we just forget, yep. because a guy looked good with his shirt off and went in the fifth round. I mean, yep. so you know, in, in a situation like that, you know, you wait until a player like that gets on the board or it gets close to the range where he's going to be drafted, and you move back and you take the guy that you're going to take anyway. And so, um, I, I find that leveraging draft. Position, NFL draft position in a rookie draft later in the summer can really help find some discounts when you get to that area where you're unsure. So, like last year, let's take this example Darwin Thompson, you were seeing driven all the way up even to the early second round of rookie mm-hmm. drafts yeah. at times. Meanwhile, we see Tony Pollard sitting over here that was a third round actual NFL draft pick. He just wasn't as celebrated. He didn't have the standout combine, he didn't have an amazing college production profile. But an NFL team valued him as a day-two pick. And then when in doubt, follow that NFL draft pedigree, and I think you're less likely to make a mistake because we know those guys will get fed those touches. And take the reverse of your Darwin point. What about A.J. Brown? We did all that work all
0: offseason. Chris and I talked him up to our 103, I believe, Chris. We had a key butler up there, unfortunately. (laughs) When when the dust settled, I had Josh Jacobs, Nikhil Harry, and then A.J. Brown on my board. And then he got drafted by the Titans, and I just overthought it. And I think we all did because we saw an ADP he was going down to 108 all the way to – I saw him at 202 in one of my leagues, and unfortunately I tried to move up and I couldn't get to him. And we took everything that we – um, had done all, all the work for in the offseason, and we just threw it in the trash collectively because of his landing spot. So it's kind of the opposite of Darwin. We 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 just valued landing spot maybe a little too much there, and it seems like we, we had a huge miss there.
2: In my defense, I, I was still banking on Corey Davis. Okay, I was still hoping Corey Davis would be yeah. the thing. But.
0: I think we all were. We've all been waiting on Corey Davis. Right. So let's flip it over to let's say we fast forward to right before the uh, the leaks the NFL leaks year and it's time to kind of look at your rosters because let's just uh, let's say before uh, maybe let's say preseason, your depth chart doesn't matter, right? I mean, your own depth chart, it shouldn't matter at all if you have twenty wide receivers or or whatever, right? You don't have team needs yet. So let's say it's time to start evaluating your team. Under what circumstances are you willing to move a top 12 asset? and What are you kind of looking for in return?
1: Oh, man, a top 12. So I like top 12 startup overall, we're talking like a first round startup guy. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, that's not really a time of year that I'd probably be doing that. Um, just because if you look at the 12 month calendar, if I was in a situation where I was interested in moving a top 12 guy it would Mm -hmm. be because i was probably entering a rebuild sure and if i was entering a a rebuild you know i'm wanting to accrue rookie picks um you know i i don't find in my leagues that we have a lot of people flush in like two three first round picks um in august that stuff happens over the course of the season and so or you know a lot of leagues you can buy rookie picks you know even two years in advance so like Mm -hmm. You know, when league years flip later this week, we'll see 2021 added. But other leagues are going to see 2022 added. And so, you know, I, I just in August, man, I just don't know um, that that's a great time to move a top 12. Yeah. I would rather wait until September when they either reinforce that they still belong there or maybe I get another guy that's a little older uh, that was like a top 24 guy. Like, you know, this past year it could have been Julio, you know, been okay. hanging on to that round two startup yeah uh, pedigree comes out in balls and then people are like well this is my year i got a chance to go for it and then they're willing to mortgage things um sure. in, in, in august everyone thinks they can win in, right. unless you're totally in tank mode so yeah um, i'm just not sure the values are there and i like to bait that question a little bit
0: because i do have a, a strategy that's worked for me in the past so we get really? a lot of injuries around that time of year um uh, going into the season We have huge ones like we've had Hunter Henry in the past and things like that, and it it puts a huge hole in your team. So one thing that you can do with the top 12 assets, and it's really hard to move the top 12 guys because it's so exciting to have them, is take somebody that's ah, a little bit farther back that you're just really excited about. So let's say you've got Kamara and you're really excited about, I don't know, uh, let's say Mixon, if he was a little valued a little later. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you can just get some juice on top of it. Like I saw something thrown around like Debo and Mixon on Twitter or something like that. So some, somebody who you say, you know what, I think this guy might outscore uh, Kamara this year personally, which I don't. But in this scenario, and then you get Debo on top of it and he can produce for your team as well. So you fill your hole there and you still get what you think might end up being better than the asset you traded in the first place. So that's one situation where I'd move a top 12 asset. But I totally agree if you've got a top 12 asset and you're ready to start the season, you're just geared up. It's time to go.
2: I mean, at that point. Yeah. Because again, as Curtis was saying, I mean, we're all ready to kind of see where our values are at. Like what, what are assets going to do? Like once the season actually starts. So in August, I mean, I've already kind of, Put my chips like where they are and I'm ready to see like how the how the board kind of falls out like one September once the games like start coming in so it'd be hard for me I mean unless like I guess some ridiculous offer came in it'd be hard for me to want to move them at that point because I'm hoping at least at that point I know that I'm set and I'm just ready for the games to start and for me to start adjusting to in-season values like once things start happening and once you know the points start getting getting scored and I'm looking at my roster and trying to make changes to push for a championship if at all possible Ah, uh, but now, I guess we're into. I mean, the you know, the the football season is over. We're now officially, I guess, into. I guess I don't know if dynasty season starts like right after the Super Bowl, but let's just say that we're just gonna focus on the dynasty dynasty season. Like now, like with, uh, with the with off season like actually started. But where are you guys at over at Rotaviz in terms of your like I guess your rookie evaluations and how deep into this class are you at this point?
1: Wow, we're we're pretty far. Um, so we we actually just last week dropped volume one of our rookie guide. So you guys mentioned Dynasty Command Center at the top of the podcast. So something that happened about a month ago. Um, it was really difficult running two businesses. So and we actually folded Dynasty Command Center into Rotoviz. It's now just a it's kind of a I guess you could call it a subsidiary product, but really it, it'll eventually just kind of melt into the fabric of, of RotoViz. And, and the first thing that really happened with that was uh, Travis and I putting our uh, Dynasty Command Center podcast on RotoViz Radio. But then the second thing was this year's Dynasty Command Center Rookie Guide has the RotoViz logo on it. And so, um, and it sold on RotoViz. And then, you know, six months from now, we'll, we'll forget that it never was part of RotoViz when it started. Um, but anyway, we uh, we released uh, volume one. Um, we've got consensus top sixty ranks on there um, from five different uh, rookie drafters for uh, vanilla PPR. We've got super flex and tight end premium in there. Uh, all five of us probably ranked about seventy deep with Travis and I doing Debbie rankings. Um, you know, we're pretty pretty up to up to speed on most of these guys going in, and so then it just mm-hmm. becomes a matter of you know, at of we have so many. You know kind of overarching you know calculations and um, regression models and things like that I mean we're an analytics driven site right I mean we want to make it easy to apply you know we're all about practical application but we're driven by by analytics and by data so it becomes pretty easy for us to get on the same page as a team um, and and do these rankings so I mean yeah we've we've got a 25 page comprehensive guide out <laughs> all, already and uh, you know we'll update that again after the combine you know because again, because Travis and I are are into the debbie scene and and start scouting you know mm-hmm. really um you know along with you know twenty four seven and other you know scouting houses, we already know a lot about the athleticism and the athletic profiles about these guys, so a lot of what's built in um in our rankings that you might not see elsewhere is you know we're making some what we feel really educated guesses about how the combine might impact some of these rankings, mm-hmm. and that's already baked in. To how we have this stuff done, and so you know, I know I know I've talked with other analysts that they they like to start and and do it in pieces, right? And so I've got my production profile and my age and things like that, and then after the combine, you know, I'll, I'll adjust for athletic measurables, and then you know we do you know the third step after the NFL draft and team situation. But if you're doing that along the way, and you don't go a little bit earlier and a prospect's profile to understand where they're going to be. Like you can't read the tea leaves and find those values in a startup or tr- trading or really understand how a rookie class is going to look. Right. Mm-hmm. So I might value the top tier of the rookie class differently than somebody that doesn't already know which backs are going to smash the combine, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important. And so that, that's something that you get, you know, when you buy our guide, obviously not perfect. We're going to learn a little bit more of the combine, just like everybody else. But you know, we know what these guys ran in high school. You know, we know what they did at Nike camp and yeah. you know, so that this, this stuff is, this stuff is baked in. And, and I, I like to think that, you know, maybe we're giving you 70% of the answers to the test before you take it.
0: You were on with our buddy, uh, Ray Garvin on destination Debbie, right? Uh, we noticed you had Jonathan Taylor as your RB one. And I'm, I'm on the Swift train. I think a lot of, a lot of the community is, and, um, Dobbins is up there too, but I think it's really those top three guys. It's going to be J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, and Jonathan Taylor, in my opinion, and it's really going to depend on landing spot, hopefully not too much like the Darwin Thompson situation. Could you explain to us why Jonathan Taylor is your RB1? Yeah,
1: guys, I'm, I'm really just trying not to, to overthink this. I think Taylor's going to test better athletically. Um, he has a much more impressive production profile. Um, and they're the same age and they're going to have similar draft capital. I mean, why, why am I going to put myself out on a limb and hope that film grinders are right, that Swift might have a little bit more broad NFL skill set? Like I don't need to trust in that if these guys are probably both going to be successful, like they're both very objectively talented, Mm -hmm. but I have to squint to make sure that I agree with these other takes, if they're really rooted in film, like I can explain away Swift's lack of early career production, you know, because Georgia had, you know, a a stocked, you know, running back room like they typically do. And, you know, those guys went on to be successful pros and and early draft picks. And and I understand that Swift got split out as a freshman just so they could get him on the field, but he's not the first Georgia back. That's had that uh, done either. And so, you know, I've got Jonathan Taylor who would hands down be the all time, best producer in college football history if he just returned next year he's been doing it since he was 18 he's been running a sub 10 meters since he was 18 he's going to be drafted probably even if he's not the first back off the board he will certainly be the second back off the board and will likely not go any further down than what 10 to 15 picks of swift And as of now i'm not sure that either of them will even be a first round pick i see some mocks mm-hmm. where they're in i see some mocks where they're out mm-hmm. the wide receiver class is so deep this year there's some offensive linemen which we um are in desperate need of across the league yeah. and so th- these guys and and when we're a little bit you know, when that elite pack is a little deeper teams might play chicken uh you know with each other in terms of who's going to pull the trigger first and so look i i like swift they're both going to be age 21 rookies so there's lots to like about both of them but every tie break goes to jonathan taylor for me we just know way more about him
0: that's so interesting to see that uh We might not see any of these backs in the first round, and I I don't think we will. And we have drafts with Sonny Michelle in the first round. We have drafts with Rashad Penny in the first round. And now we might not see either of these backs in the first round, and they are ten times better than Rashad Penny and Sonny Michelle. It's just going to be such a fun draft.
1: Well, let let me tell you, just, you know, the draft capital really does matter, but I I just want to talk about production here and and how – elite jonathan taylor's production was so one of the tools that we have at Rotoviz that allows you to compare and contrast uh rookie prospects based on their college production and their projected draft position is called the Rotoviz box score scout and so a lot of times we'll say tongue in cheek like during the fantasy season we'll make fun of somebody for being a box score scout right like all right well this receiver had 80 yards three weeks in a row does has nothing to do with what i'll do next week you're just like parroting what the player already did but we're in in this manner we're actually comparing everything that a player's done um and you can choose a, a lot of different metrics but then the really important variable you can add in right now since we don't have athletic measurables is draft position and if you give jonathan taylor even late first round draft position um in that exercise in the box score scout i mean we see ezekiel elliott we see Dalvin cook we see christian mccaffrey wow. All among his top 10 comps, because I mean, if you go in the first round and you have this production profile over the course of your career, I mean, that's a really tiny list. Yeah. Really tiny list. Okay. And so you start to feel really, really bold about what you're going to do with that guy. Then, and even putting him in the mid second. All right. So TJ Calkins, uh, you mentioned him earlier. um, Really smart dynasty mind is with us over there at Rotovis. He, he wrote up our, our team's uh, prospect profile on Jonathan Taylor actually asking the question, is he the perfect running back prospect? And for his exercise though, he wanted to be conservative. And so he used a draft position of 41. So we're talking what, like the ninth pick of the second round. Right. I think that's yeah. highly, highly reasonable. Was well, number one comp is Ray Rice. Number <laughs> number two, Darren McFadden, which you know had injury problems early in his career, but actually had a couple really, really um, important and viable uh, fantasy seasons as kind of a post-type sleeper guy. Mm-hmm. And and Christian McCaffrey and Jamal Charles are also there in his top oh. 10 comps as a second round pick. So even in the second, just a home run of a prospect, you cannot generate those types of comps with Deandre Swift because he just doesn't have the profile. Like the, the, the range of outcomes is much wider and we have to trust that much more in the film and in mm-hmm. the system that he lands in.
0: So essentially I'm gathering that they both uh, have the same potential but Jonathan Taylor is more of the sure thing because we have more evidence on him. So you're not missing much by taking Jonathan Taylor over DeAndre Swift, whereas DeAndre Swift might hit and might be successful. Um, we have a little bit more information on Jonathan Taylor's kind of what I'm gathering.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think that's uh, that's exactly what I'm saying.
2: Yeah. All right. Then that makes sense. And so now switching over from the the running back to the wide receiver position. Uh so you, uh, so we just talked about Jonathan Taylor running backs. So, so tell me why uh CD Lamb is your is your favorite wide receiver. And it might not be, but I mean I'm just saying it it probably should be. I'm just saying.
1: Yeah. I, I appreciate that, man. I do. <laughs> I do. Look, um you know, receiver to me is just like running back this year. There are three guys. I mean, there's a lot of guys that I'm excited about. I really love the running backs, and I really love the wide receivers this year.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I talked about this with Ray. You mentioned that pod, and you know, but for those that didn't listen to it, and you know, in our fans of your your stuff here, this is still a great class, man. I want lots of 2020 picks. Mm-hmm. I don't own as many as I would like to. I'd like to own more, and I'm going to be drafting a lot of these guys and startups. And so, um, you know, we're really we're kind of nitpicking a little bit. But you know, what I proposed on on that appearance was that Jalen Rager is a tier one wide receiver who's not being treated like it. And um, you know, CeeDee Lamb, great profile. You know, he's also had great quarterbacks and benefited from a great college mm-hmm. uh football system with probably mm-hmm. what what one of the two or three best coaches. Uh, no one would argue he'd be any lower down than that. Right. Um in college football right now. Um, but all that being said you know, broke out a year later than Jalen Rager. I mean, even using our really lofty criteria for uh, a rookie break or for a uh, college breakout for wide receiver, you know, we use a 30% dominator rating. You know, a lot, most, actually every other dynasty or fantasy site that I know of still uses 20%. We've used 30% all along. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, You bring in fewer misses. Um, You'll miss on a couple, you'll miss on a few more guys but you're less likely to make a mistake following that really early uh, breakout age with a 30% dominator rating. And and Mm -hmm. for those that don't know what dominator rating is, it's a combination of market share of a team's uh, receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Jalen Rager broke out at age 19 with a 30% dominator. There's only five guys in this class that did that. And there's only two that are going to be age 21 rookies. And it's Jalen Rager and Justin Jefferson. Now Jalen Rager is going to crush, I mean destroy, incinerate the combine. He's going to have one of the best combines that wide receiver has had in the past couple of years, and I, I think I'm just, I just think I'm a little bit ahead of where everyone else is going to get on Jalen Rager. I think he absolutely mm-hmm. belongs there as a tier one guy with CD mm-hmm. Lamb and Jerry Judy, mm-hmm. and he's going to go at the very latest in the NFL draft top 40 but I think after his combine you know we see all these mocks going out right now with Henry Ruggs going to the Eagles that's like the most popular thing that I see Mm -hmm. and like why would you draft Henry Ruggs when you can have Jalen Rager I do not understand that Um, and it kind of goes back to the same argument that we literally just had um, but even worse about Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift Jalen Rager has been doing this and actually has a production profile and Mm -hmm. has had it at a very young age with garbage quarterbacks, I mean, just garbage half a dozen quarterbacks that he played with in three years at TCU. And then a program that's just in pure upheaval basically, or I can have, you know, the wide receiver three from Alabama basically. And so, um, and I'm not saying that cause I hate rugs, but I'm just saying people are sleeping on Rager more than mm-hmm. they ought to be. I see him kind of just like by default listed as people's like wide receiver six or wide receiver five kind of, after you get past T. Higgins and LaVisca Chenault, I mean, then you start to see Rager show up. And some people even have him behind Tyler Johnson or Justin Jefferson, and he's further down the list. You know, Feel free to join me, guys. Be a little bit ahead of the curve. Push him up to like your at least your wide receiver three, and you can thank me when you're a month early on it. And you know how much the NFL teams love those combines.
0: So if he is going to crush the combine, I mean – the combine is kind of why DK got the invite to the first round, even though he didn't get drafted in the first round. It was a picture in a combine, in all honesty. Um, he yeah, his 3 cone was terrible, but he was just a freak. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring into the conversation, I'm almost positive this came from our buddy and now boss Ryan McDowell for me and Chris. Uh, he said that he could draft just 2020 rookies in a startup this year and uh, feel relatively confident in his future success. What do you think about that going forward?
1: Um, like if it were possible, like if I set up a league where, mm-hmm. so let's say that there were like, I wasn't allowed to draft veterans, but sure, I was going to start. It. Yeah. It, yep. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be comfortable with that. Yeah, we'd have, to, with that. we'd
0: have to assume that the one Oh one would be in the first round, which I just did this exercise on Twitter the other day. And I think the one Oh one will be in the first round. Um, and if it's not super flex, that makes it a little bit easier. So, yeah, I think I'd be pretty comfortable with that, too. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think that makes some sense. Uh,
2: it, and For all that we're talking about, I mean, for all the prospects we've mentioned so far, it feels like we have not only do we have like elite or at least getting close to elite talent, but also there's depth. I mean, we're finding especially at the wide receiver position we're 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 talking about depth I mean we're talking about guys like Justin Jefferson and LaVisca Chenault like that being like you know five six seven. I mean, we haven't even discussed, we haven't gotten into guys like Gandy golden. I mean to go even deeper than that, i mean, it just feels like this class has not just talent like not just front loaded talent but enough such that if you have second round picks, third round picks, I feel like there's value in holding on to those where i don't I didn't feel the same last season so i I just think that yeah if you're going to if you're going to um I guess promote or propose something like that, I feel like you could walk away with feeling pretty good about your team if you were just limited to that uh so I guess and you brought up. Uh, so, Curtis, you brought up the, the discussion of like dominator rating and like breakout age and all that. And I, both of us, like Adam and I, were both fairly like analytics minded. Uh, so, can you, I guess, how much of that goes into, I guess, your guys' evaluation? I know RotoViz is like fairly analytics heavy. But I guess how important is understanding breakout age? Like for folks that might not know, how important is it to understand dominator rating when you're going into evaluating prospects? Because we're just, all we're going to get for the most part is bombarded with like highlight reels of some of these players over the next couple of months. And then especially once we get into the combine, it's going to be nothing but 40 times and all that. But if we want to contextualize it, and we want to try and figure out how that correlates to their uh, their college profiles. I mean, how important is it that we understand, I guess, the, the the mechanics that go behind each of those evaluation metrics?
1: Man, you said that so eloquently, Adam, because it is going to become just such a, you know, the echo chamber is about to get real and it's going to be hard to know what you're looking at. Um, and so I'm really glad that you're giving me the opportunity to talk about this. And if you want to understand this better, you know, this is where I'm putting my plug in for Volume one of the Dynasty Command Center Rookie Guide. I mean, you can get all three volumes of this rookie guide for fourteen ninety nine. So I mean, if you're you're paying five bucks, five bucks for twenty six pages in January on all these guys. I mean, it's you're a right. no brainer and and a strategy. It's not just a, a set of rankings. It's strategy. We explain the analysis and we explain the research. So let's talk about wide receiver breakout and and why it matters. Okay, so going back over the last decade. And this, this is from the horse's mouth. This is from Sean Steagle. Okay. This is the guy who invented these concepts that everyone talks about now. This is who my That's partner is. It's the zero RB King, said. isn't it? It's the zero RB King, but he, he also invented this concept. <laughs> so, in um, uh, uh, these metrics that we're talking about. So, in, in his most recent update uh, to his breakout age study. And, and again, he's the, also the one that sets Dominator. At 30% for our site versus mm-hmm. 20%, which is what you see everywhere else. So, going back over the last decade, 276 FBS wide receivers posted meaningful college stats and then had at least one fantasy point in the NFL. Okay. So, call of those receivers of that 276 wide receiver cohort, those who enjoyed a collegiate breakout of age 21 or earlier averaged 199 PPR points over their first two seasons. Okay. Those who broke out after age twenty-one averaged ninety-six. So we're talking about a hundred points different in the first two years of your career just by setting that thirty percent dominator at age twenty-one. Wow! I mean, that is stupid simple, guys. Like right. anybody can apply this, this concept, and you will make far fewer mistakes. And you don't even have to believe. By the way, you don't even have to believe in these prospects and not be your favorite guys. If you just want to follow that blindly, have it break all ties. I don't like this team situation. I don't like this player for reason X, Y, or Z. You know, he was mean to me at McDonald's one time when I ran into him, whatever. If, if you take an, a young wide receiver and he puts up 200 PPR points over the course of his first two years, you made money in the draft. I mean, you made money on that guy. Like your roster is more valuable now than it was before you spent that rookie pick. So, But let's look at it a different way. So let's talk about first round picks And, uh, you know, draft round as it relates to these breakouts, okay? So, um, if you just look at round one versus round two versus round three, and you only knew draft position, Mm -hmm. um, you're going to have an 18-point advantage in round one, uh, 60-point advantage from round two to round three. So, again, just by chasing that age 21 breakout mark. Now, in other research that's been – uh refreshed on our site uh within the last probably year and i'll probably update it this year just um by taking it down to that breakout age of less than 20 so this is the jalen rager justin jefferson guys that we're talking about right the Mm -hmm. only two guys in this class that meet this criteria 46 percent of players in college who have a breakout age of less than uh age 20 so 19.9 or less Mm -hmm. 46.2 percent of them will score 200 PPR points in a single season within their first three years in the NFL. Wow. So you got basically a coin flip chance that that guy's going to put up 200 PPR in one of their first three years. That is the definition of a top 24 wide receiver and dynasty value. Right. Okay. And DJ Moore met that criteria, correct? Oh yes. Oh DJ, don't, and, we're going to have to extend the length of this pod. If we start talking <laughs> DJ Moore and uh, Juju as well. Yes. Juju as well. Juju okay, well. well,
0: Those guys seem to have done pretty well so, so they're far. Pretty huh? good. Yeah, they're
1: yeah. pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so then if you want to look at this a different way, so first we talked about, you know, total number of points scored over the first two years. Now I'm talking about it in terms of um, kind of a ceiling season within a, a couple of years. So if you, if you miss that age 20 breakout and you break out at age 20, but before your 21st birthday, okay. 35% of those players will have a 200 point PPR season within their first three years. Now I break out after age 21. I drop all the way down to 19%. So now I'm two and a half times less likely to break out than that guy that broke out under the age of 20. Break out after age 22, 6.7% of those guys hit, okay? So just, this, this does not contextualize. You talked about context earlier, Adam. It doesn't contextualize. It doesn't take into account landing spot. It doesn't take into account draft pedigree or any of those things. It's purely dominator and the age at which these people hit the 30% threshold mm-hmm. and that's it. You can avoid all these mistakes even if you didn't use anything else. You would be a great you'd be in great shape in dynasty if you just followed this simple principle um as you're going after wide receivers.
2: Which is absolutely wild to me that you, that you can wind up hitting on such good talent using such sim- like simplistic in nature like metrics. I mean, or that that process that would lead you to hitting on. I mean, just like we were just talking about DJ Moore, Juju Smith Schuster. I mean, it just seems like that it should be something that we push more. And I'm glad that you were able to at least explain it enough and kind of break it down so that folks, could, hopefully, the folks hearing it uh, later on will. will understand and again better better contextualize the metric in and of itself. So I mean Curtis I mean thank you for stopping by and taking the time to sit down with us tonight. I mean there's just there's so much that Rotoviz like has to offer like to the Dynasty community, uh, to the Best Ball community, and whatever. Uh, but before we get y'all out of here, because we know we, uh, you've got uh, co- like at least one other show uh, going on uh, tonight, we wanted to give you just a couple minutes to talk about what other products like Rotoviz might have that folks might be, uh, I guess, interested in getting into uh, because we yeah we've got Dynasty season, we got Best Ball season, or even if they're just waiting you know kind of waiting for. Uh, the 2020 season to get started. I mean, if there was anything that uh, you wanted to push uh, for for the folks tonight, uh, the floor is yours, man.
1: Absolutely. Hey, thanks, guys, again, for having me on. Um, if, if you liked what we're talking about here tonight and you want to check it out, uh, first and foremost, all of my written content is over at rotaviz.com. Um, the rest of our Dynasty team, like Sean Siegel, Blair Andrews, TJ Calkins, Travis May, Dave Cabin, a bunch of really, really successful guys. Dynasty titles, up and down, even including high stakes Dynasty, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, those are the guys that are writing this stuff for you. Um, those are the guys that are are ranking these players for you. And those are the guys who wrote the Dynasty Command Center Rookie Guide. So you can check that out at the top uh, in the header bar at rotaviz.com. Just click on 2020 Rookie Guide. You can pick up a copy of that. We've added some um, tweaks to our dynasty tools in the last year or so. so if you used to be a sub and you are no longer or you've just never checked us out, a couple of things that we have um, a really robust dynasty ADP tool that tracks um, real drafts, and so you know there are other sites that do a lot of um, mock drafting because and that's super important because we lose the ability to track ADP during the NFL season, and so that's one thing that um, DLF does, and I mean it's fantastic because. Without it, there'd be a, a void in the community of being able to track what's happening. Um, but it's also important to, to track actual drafts that that are happening, and especially I find it interesting to track the ones that people are paying a lot of money to play in, because mm-hmm. it really represents how those investments are going. When look, this league is five hundred bucks for me every year. This league is twenty five hundred bucks for me every year. What are those guys doing? And so we we leverage FFPC um dynasty startup adp and they'll actually be doing their startups that that window will probably open up in the next i would say two to three weeks but you can look at all of their historic uh, dynasty adp research where you know where rookies were going you can even look at their rookie drafts cut out and separate that even by the day of the month and build your own queries and reports and track player value over time we've got a combine explorer so you can you can check out you know any player that you want and understand what type of percentile athlete that they were, compare them to other players and you can get a list of similar players who performed um, at the combine and and, you know, the most uh, or the closest um, I guess closest range uh, to a player. So like you pull up DK Metcalf and his bar graphs break the screen and you see who else was close to him at the combine Mm -hmm. and you know what they went on to do. We relate it in fantasy terms. So, you know, how, how productive were they just based off only using the combine as a performance criteria? What did that mean for those players? We've got the prospect box score scout, which we talked about a little bit earlier. And we have a brand new version of our running back prospect lab. It's probably going to drop like next week. Mike Beers is uh, putting the finishing touches on it. But just so much, it's the tools, it's the analysis. We've got everything you need over there. And then the thing that's great about Rotoviz. is, is if you're a DFS player too, and you're a best ball player too, and you're a redraft player too, we have all this stuff in spades across all of those different platforms. And so you get all that great stuff for Dynasty, but then you don't have to go sub to three and four other sites to get the content for those other games that you play.
2: All right, man. And I mean, it just seems like there's so much like, incredible value to getting a sub to RotoViz, and especially with the Dynasty offseason or Dynasty season getting kicked off. Uh, today it seems like now would be the best time to invest and try and get some content like in front of you. If you want to start doing your homework for your, uh, for your upcoming drafts. I mean, so with that, uh, that'll be it for us tonight. Uh, Adam, do we have anything else for the folks before we get on out of here?
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Curtis. I enjoyed the panel. We did together, enjoyed it tonight. I hope that we see you again in August Uh, for Chris and I, uh, we are doing DLF video content on Twitch, on Facebook, on Twitter, um, and also we will be putting out mailbag questions every week. We will be asking for mailbag topics. So if anybody has any questions, you'll be able to hit me up at APWILDE. You'll be able to hit Chris up at Chris Allen, FFWX. Matt Price will be doing the article. So any questions that we can't get to on the video show, you'll be able to see in his article. And, uh, if we can get any likes, rates, reviews, subscribe, all of that. Thank you guys so much for coming up
2: dope uh, that's that thing that will wrap us up here for tonight so for curtis for adam i'm chris allen you can find me on twitter at chris allen ffwx thank y'all for coming out and catch y'all next week
0: it's automatic D- dynasty it, it's automatic owner's manual it's automatic
2: Dynasty it, It's automatic